Welcome to the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. I am really, really excited to have Rex Miller on the show today. Welcome to the show, Rex. Thank you, Ruth. It's great to be here. <laughs> so Rex and I got connected uh, through LinkedIn a couple of months ago, actually, and I was really inspired by the story that you uh, had um, shared on LinkedIn following um, the AIM Clinic's interview they did with Rachel Hollis um, uh, with yes. regards to her, her brain imaging scan. So I'm really um, interested in diving into your story and your family's journey that they've been on in terms of optimising their unique brains. But before we start, um, could you just introduce yourself to sure. everyone? I know you've got... Yeah. And yeah. just a breadth of experience in this space, particularly from a corporate perspective, sure. um, and also what you're really passionate about right now. Well, I started as a project manager for Southwestern Bell. It's now AT&T in 1977. So it's been a while. But what I was working on there is uh, reconfiguring corporate space from private offices to cubicles. It was a new thing. Mm -hmm. But that also meant changing culture. So that became a fascination about behavior and resistance and, and uh, it became an area of focus. Over time, I built up kind of a, a resume of understanding corporate dynamics and culture, looking at engagement, you know, Gallup's done research on engagement for a long time. So it's evolved into project work, you know, an engaged project team. Yeah. It's evolved into education, engaged students and teachers. But that began to morph about five years ago into looking at some underlying causes of engagement, and that's well-being. So for the last six years or so, there's been a big focus on the role of well-being in how we show up every day. And that, of course, as, as you know, Ruth, that, that led to kind of a, a little bit of an autobiography of looking at my own family's health yeah. and well-being and unpacking that. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you kind of felt almost fell into the importance of well-being, but it's often put as the last thought on the agenda yeah, when people is. are doing transformations rather than the first thought and it, the fact is that brains run organizations that yeah. you know they they run they run the world ultimately that you know and it's really important that we take the time to look at how can we optimize the brains of the people in the workplace and there's so many facets to doing yeah. that um and we're obviously well-being is a really important part because that's looking at the whole at the whole person and how do you optimize a person's well-being? So I know we're going to dive into your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'd love to know um, for you, what does optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your experience? Well, so I look at optimal brain health as a byproduct of how I'm living. So it's the food I eat, it's the exercise, it's the social connections. Are they functional. It's sleep. I mean, so much of it is sleep. I've really done, uh, focused a lot since 2016 on the quality of sleep. And, and so it's, it's all those pieces come together so that I can feel good, uh, perform at my best. And I really have shifted from looking at managing energy 
more than managing time and really being aware of uh, when and how I'm at my best and when I need to recover. Recovery has been a big part of this. Sports science has been really surfacing the need and the role of recovery. I mean, look at some of the kind of the uh, senior citizens in sports, Roger Federer, Tom Brady, uh, Justin Verlander, and they've had kind of a second career because they discovered the role of sleep and recovery. So for me, it's, it's the energy is kind of my main metric for brain health. Yeah. I, do you know, I think that's so, uh, so important and people don't really talk about it from an energy perspective. And when I had a really, you know, deep, dark place for me, it was energy that was the first thing I really needed to focus on yeah. to get my life back and to get my brain health back. And it's, and it's really everything. But I love the fact that you talked about time as well, because it's a kind of like this energy time continuum, isn't there? And yeah. you, you can't have one with without having some conflict with with the other or vice versa is we need to look at both right um, to, to work out how can we get the best out of ourselves how can we per- perform at our best and also love the fact that you talked about really you covered the the five pillars of brain health that I talk about from the framework that we have is how, how am I feeling which is the first pillar feelings and it's remembered by the mnemonic facts our actions which is our really how we're really performing our connections to ourselves and others, our thoughts, and also our surroundings. I know, I know you've done that, you know, in terms of the work you've you've done in, in your book, uh, Change Your Space, Change Your Culture, and all the other books that you've, you, you've written about. But I'd really like to dive into the story that you, you shared on, on LinkedIn, if you will. But if, if, you, if you wish to go back a bit further than that, sure. that kind of what, yeah. what led you to, to that um, change, change in your family's brain. Yeah. Brain health, that would be great. So I had finished the work, Change Your Space, Change Your Culture, in maybe 2014 or so. And then I was approached by a company that does education and said, would you do an education version and do the research around that? Reluctantly, because I don't, I'm not an educator, yeah. we, we went after it and it was the most life-changing research we did. And through that, um, I recognized how the education system damaged my kids and what we discovered in the research. And Sir Ken Robinson was one of the individuals that I've met with when, when he was mm-hmm. still alive. And he, he spurred a lot of this research is that this industrialized version of education really squelches the unique individuality of people. Mm-hmm. And, in my particular case, I had a couple of what I call one-offs. So in the book, Humanizing the Education Machine, I said, the system's not geared towards one-offs and it's geared towards batched kids. My daughter, who has is on the autism spectrum, high functioning, mm-hmm. uh, she was one of the casualties of the system. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of the research that we were uncovering is the the amount of trauma in education, the kids that come to school with trauma, and, it, and it's called adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, yeah. and there's a score. So as we were diving into this trauma thing, and then I was looking at uh, what my daughter experienced in high school and how, how severely she was bullied, 
the next piece to the puzzle that came together was Besser Vanderkolt's book called The Body Keeps Score. And seeing that trauma, and as Dr. Gasco, one of the colleagues we worked with, he said, the issues are in the tissues. In other words, the trauma gets stuck in the body. And I agree with you, like 100% here, it does. And I didn't realize that just therapy alone doesn't do it, that, that you have to do what he calls body work, whether it's yoga mm-hmm. or Pilates. And what I started understanding is that there's a, a deep discontinuity or dysregulation between what the, what the brain is interpreting and what the body is feeling. And one of the things that movement does is it resynchronizes those. I didn't realize that. But one of the things that came up a year after we discovered that my daughter had been traumatized, uh, brutally bullied and, and not physically sexually molested, but verbally sexually molested. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an, an autistic brain takes things so literally yeah. that she could not process. And so it went into her tissues. Mm-hmm. Within a year, she started experiencing optic neuritis. Wow. And I can still remember the call, and it's in the book whole. I, I retell the story. And so we we were able to get her to an infusion facility for steroids. So it recovered. The doctor said at the time, he said, it's probably a one-off, but it's a precursor for MS. Yeah. Well, five years later, seven experiences more, they re-examined her and said she had MS. I didn't believe it because uh, mm-hmm. of the research I was doing, but I had no way to prove it. So um, the Amen Clinic came up and I, I said- How did that come up for you? Well, I met Dr. Amen at a uh, wellness conference. Oh, okay. That was, and, that was what happened with me. <laughs> and it was the Wellcoa conference in San Diego and okay. I was rolling out our research on the healthy workplace nudge and I was invited, but basically my pitch was wellness programs don't work. I didn't want to say you're wasting your time, but that was my pitch at a wellness conference where everybody, that was their job. <laughs> and, uh, and so what I discovered is so many people came up and said, Oh, finally, somebody said, we're so frustrated because we can't get people to sign up. Um, so in, in that I met Dr. Amen and he Uh was interested in our research and I knew of the clinic and I knew the work they did. And, um, so I decided for spring break, we would plan a family vacation and in order to sell it to the kids, because my son likes California, uh, my oldest son, uh, likes Santa Monica, my youngest son likes the, the Getty museum. Yeah. And I said, oh, by the way, we'll all get brain scanned while we go to California. <laughs> and so so it was a little bit of, okay, that's kind of odd, Dad. Why would we do that? <laughs> and so... <laughs> it's a very funny... I lo- I'm loving this because I actually went to the clinic myself in California, tagging it on to recertifying as a high-performance coach. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah. It's so, a very similar story. So we had other reasons too. All three of sure. my kids are all three of my kids are adopted, and we know that there can be some trauma in uh-huh. adoption. I've got a son with high level ADD. Uh, my 
mother had Alzheimer's before she passed away. My wife's father has dementia. So there were lots of reasons for us to just mm -hmm. kind of unravel and, and just see, okay, where do we stand? Um, and it was fascinating. And sure enough, uh, Michelle had the trauma pattern, you know, that, that wow. diamond pattern, the, the ring diamond of fire. pattern, PTSD. And my son, my oldest son had the same pattern as well. And there's his wow. story. We could talk about his story. Mm -hmm. So that gave me some fuel to really fight this diagnosis of MS. Um, but my daughter was kind of certain she had it. When she got married, she needed a physical for her insurance. And mm -hmm. I said, take your brain scans in and see what they say. Mm -hmm. Well, she took them in and they looked at it and they re-examined her and they said, you don't have MS. We don't know what you have. Of course, you and I know what she's mm -hmm. experiencing. It's the body's reaction to trauma yeah. uh, that takes different forms of autoimmune. Absolutely. It can be different for everyone. And she's been off the, the gabapentin and the, the medication for MS for five years with wow. no side, no problems at all. So I'm, I'm convinced that after that, and after having spoken to so many people, uh, when somebody talks to me that is expressing some, you know, they're having weird physical autoimmune issues that they can't get their arms around. I will yeah. just ask us, I'll say, what was your childhood like? Was there anything yeah. in childhood that you experienced? And Ruth, I'll tell you, every single person that has been struggling with this, I can't get my arms around this and I feel lousy and I don't know what to do about it and counseling's not helping and whatever. They all have a story that traces yeah. back to some form of trauma. And often in their childhood, which where it yeah. manifests and the seed yeah. takes root and then the tree grows really strong because the earlier the seed roots, the stronger your tree can become if yeah, you layer the trauma. So well, I think that I, I think it's a huge issue that I is often too. overlooked in the, me yeah. in the medical field. Um, adverse childhood experiences and there's kind of this expectation that it has to be a you know people I've had clients who really downplay the trauma they've actually experienced because they compare right. their situation to somebody else's who they've read about in the news right. who has had it you know much worse than them and so yeah. they kind of think, well, I, I need to keep calm and carry on. It's, you know, it shouldn't be so bad. And so those that negative self-talk, like, I should be all right, I should be all right. The ants start coming into play, automatic negative thoughts. Um, and it doesn't help your system because your system's already really wired right. Um, right. with massive doses of cortisol. Your adrenal glands are working overtime. Um, your hyperpituitary axis is, you know, all fired up and lit up, you know, with all of these chemicals running around your body and your body can't handle it and, and starts um, shutting down in whatever way it, it can to deal with the overload. Yeah. Um, and, it, but, and it's a huge problem. And I think it's a particular issue now, two years into a global mass disaster. Absolutely. So what, what shift, it's interesting timing, you know, I have a firm belief that 
I was put on this planet for a purpose and things happen in the timing. So the book that we wrote on teacher mental health and well-being came out March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And it really does. It's, it's got Michelle's story in there. It talks about trauma. But then I started seeing it play out on a global scale. And um, I work with a colleague of, of Dr. Raymond. His name's Dr. Jernigan. Does uh-huh. similar brain scans. And, yeah. and so he was explaining that one of the, there's three kinds of trauma. There's trauma one, which is the one you were just talking about. We don't, we kind of downplay because we didn't see somebody shot or we weren't first responder or we weren't in the military. Mm-hmm. But there's, and the kinds that teachers oftentimes experience is a level three, which is vicarious trauma, where they take on, they feel the pain of somebody else that they can't help. And so it builds up over time as a help. They have no barrier between what the person is expressing and what they're experiencing, what they're absorbing. And. And so what we've gone through is a different kind, but it still wires the brain the same way. Mm-hmm. And a level two is a prolonged period of time mm-hmm. of stress or deprivation, like wartime conditions or things like that. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point in time, your brain says, this isn't going to change. So I'm going to change my brain to be protective all the time. Mm-hmm. So even though it doesn't show up dramatically, it's, it's still trauma. And, yeah. uh, and it needs release. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of the interesting window. And, and that's really been the focus, Ruth, that, that I've had here is trying to help organizations better appreciate um, what people have gone through, through this global mass disaster, yeah. to be ready for the triggering effects of it, to mm-hmm. see that it's probably in the 25 to 30% range of your workforce. And, yeah. you know, being being forewarned, hopefully, is being forearmed, but we're still ignoring it and we're still not dealing with it. Well, I think everybody feels that we're all in, you know, I, I like to think of it, we're all in a storm. We're all in the same storm. Some yeah. of us are, you know, further forward in the storm. Some of us at the rear of the storm. You could think of it as a hurricane, if you like, um, or a tornado. But we're all in different boats. So, yeah. so some of in- us can steer our ship because it's quite big and it's quite sturdy and we've got a really long you know experience behind us to know how to steady our ship uh and 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 we've we've got all of the you know the mechanical systems and tools to allow us to steady it whereas other people are you know in a a rowing boat yeah (laughs) with no stabilizers well um, you know with the whole family packed in it um trying to ride the waves and, yeah. and, and it's a real problem because we can't just look at the storm. We have to look at the individual circumstances, not so just much. in yes. the storm, but the leading up to the storm in terms of are they equipped to, you know, navigate the storm? Have they got the right tools? Have they got the right kit? Have they got the right life jackets and, you know, navigation devices to get them through? And many people don't. Well, and I, I think that insight, Ruth, that it's very individual. To, so to play the metaphor like a tornado or hurricane, yeah, that's a common experience, but it lasts a week or two and reco- and then you go into recovery. Yeah. 
one of the differences here is not only is everybody's storm is a little bit different. I may have lost a parent. I may not be able to see somebody. Mm -hmm. I may be locked in a one bedroom apartment with three kids, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you've got all that uniqueness, but it's gone on for two years. Exactly. And, so it's and, layered for and we're not know, we're, we're not designed and... to go through it for two years. We're designed to rally quickly after the hit, but to do and and I bet you've seen just like I have that the rise of hope. You know, when the first round we've got the vaccine coming, springtime's coming, and then yeah. boom, Delta virus hits. And yeah. then we're getting through and then Omicron hits and you just yeah. see the crater. And also on that front, you know, the hits of the change, we had a, we had, had a, um, the, the variants came out in Christmas time. So we mm. had the variant last year, pretty much the same time as we had the variant this year and also the variant the year before, because now we're into the sort of third year, aren't we? Yeah. So it's always hit right. around uh, Christmas time. And that's when people's immune systems are at their lowest because often their vitamin D levels are at their lowest. Oh, their, okay. their food consumption is at its worst because they're eating junk <laughs> food because it's Christmas time. Right. Um, they've, they've stacked the stress in the run up to Christmas in the hope that mm. they're going to get some time off because that's what typically happens. People cram. <laughs> it's like cramming for an exam. It's cramming for Christmas break yeah. or festive break, depending on what your religious um, outlook is Um, and people are not Mm. in a great place because of that, you know, from a a brain health perspective. And then as soon as we have all of this knock on uh, media that, that fuels the fire or or, or heightens the storm and throws a a whole heap of more waves into play, um, the boats start rocking and some people capsize. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I've seen it. So a big shift in my business was I used to travel yeah, and do events. You know, it was either a workshop or it was a conference keynote or something like that. So I never really kind of saw the long term, but through the last two years, it's shifted to coaching. So I'm watching people go through this and I'm seeing exactly what you're saying is, you know, that, that roller coaster. And each time they hit a, a little bit of a downturn, it's a little harder for them and their ability to bounce back is harder. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're in a very unique time and in brain health. I mean, I didn't realize it, but it makes so much sense. Uh, you can't, you can't, <laughs> You can't manage and you can't improve something that you can't see. And so yeah. if, you, if you can't see what's going on in the brain, how are you going to improve it? Yeah. And if you don't understand as well, you know, in terms of what you are seeing. Right. Um, uh, and also even the symptoms, you know, that they're, they're, they're people within the traditional and you've, you've experienced this obviously at a personal level, but traditional medicine focuses on treating the symptom it's very much a symptom-based approach rather than doing root cause analysis. So it doesn't doesn't tend to go, okay, that's a bit interesting. You've got this symptom, but let's have a look at your history. Let's let's dive into the detail to understand, okay, you're in this storm. 
how did you get into this storm in the first place? You know, what 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 led you into into the place that you're at? Tell us about your stories. Tell us what's been going on. Mm. Um, and they don't take the time to do that. They just they just focus on sim treating the symptom. And so many people are misdiagnosed or oh. not even diagnosed oh. at all. And from my experience, right. you know, they don't even get any diagnosis. I've got two. I've got two kids that were misdiagnosed by the systems and it's, it's, it's just mind numbing and frustrating because as a parent, you yeah. know, you're fighting the system. And what I walked away with that with the means I have, I mean, I do research for a living. So mm. walking in to advocate for my two kids and it, poo. It was humbling to know that I could not advocate for my kids against a system that's set up the way you just said it was. Mm. And if I can't do it, think of all the people that are just at the mercy of somebody who wants to look a little bit behind the assessment, a little bit behind the paperwork that they have to mm -hmm. fill out. Um, there's just not, it's hard. It's hard, and, and thank you for sharing that. I can see it's it's a really really difficult, and it, it it's so hard because you're mm. fighting. You know, it almost feels like you're hit, hitting a brick wall, right? Uh, well, and people don't want to listen because they've got stuck in their ways. And and you know, we know uh, Dr. Daniel Lehman. He loves to speak his mind, and so do I. But it's like, do you not yeah. read? You know, I, I I've I've clients who who have who've doctors who don't think there's a connection between your brain and your guts. Yeah, right. And you're like, how how are you still? You know, you kind of think, how is this person still practicing? Oh, I know. Well, it it's kind of that old adage that you know the experts learn more and more about narrower and narrower topics until they know everything, absolutely everything about nothing. And, <laughs> and so it's, it's that specialization built in structural problem. And, um, you know, and, and part of what has fueled, you know, my life story has fueled the research knowing that I'm not unusual. Other people are experiencing the same thing. And going up against some of the, the conventional wisdom about, um, you know, the conventional wisdom that says uh, wellness programs work or that people are disengaged. What, what we found with teachers is that um, it, what, even though Gallup says that 70% of teachers are disengaged, when we did our research, what we found, it was more like they were fatigued, battle-weary, traumatized, Absolutely. depressed, overworked, and it looks like disengagement when you assess it. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're living a chronically stressed. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that's is chronic stress is at its worst because of the layers of pressure and the layers of trauma, like you mentioned earlier, the layers of trauma they're having to absorb from kids that come into the schools that yeah. are traumatized themselves and not getting the care. And so they then become the carers of children 
um, who haven't got the support structure perhaps at home or they didn't get the support from the medical profession or they're not getting it um, in a way that's appropriate to serve their needs. And it just becomes a, a huge burden on on yeah. teachers, doesn't it? And, and they weren't, that's not what they signed up for when they became teachers. You know, if, and the phrase we kept on hearing, kids are coming to school not ready to learn. So all that social and emotional learning that has to go on. And Dr. Gasco says we have to educate the autonomic nervous system before we can educate the brain. Mm -hmm. In other words, we've got to be able to control that stress balance response before you can take on cognitive load. And, Absolutely, and yeah. Learning is any, any kind of load, emotional load and cognitive load is registered as stress on the system. Yeah, because you because you can't deal with it. Your brain, you know, your reptilian brain is in the driving seat, which yep. is your, your emotional centers of your brain, your amygdala and your deep limbic system, and 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 then the, obviously you have your basal ganglia, your anxiety centers either side, and that's yep. in the driving seat, and it won't activate the thinking part of your brain because it's in fight or flight mode, or right. freeze, or defensive rage, whatever it happens to choose in that moment. Um, and so there's no no desire for it to turn logical thinking on because that's not how we've been programmed as humans to survive. Yeah. yeah we've been put in this automatic response state. So we have to bring people into a safe haven and a safe space um, to allow people to thrive. And I, I really love the fact that you mentioned, you know, children come into the school or, or education system not ready to learn because we had a, an earlier guest on charlie smith and he had hmm. a, a serious adverse childhood experiences his dad was really abusive and a, a leader in the community and what went on behind closed doors was oh. very different to what was exhibited openly yeah. as oh. actually his mum said to him the only way you're going to get out of this I, it is through education and his father was actually in ed education as a, a lead leader in the education space. Wow. And he was a really bad learner because he was, he, he was obviously his fight or flight system was always right. on and right. he really that struggled to learn. Point. But when he realized that his education and learning would be his get out, that would be mm. his escape route Overnight, he said, he went from a really poor learner to an exceptional student. And I know this is a that's single a cool story. story. Yeah, that's, Be that's a, because that's his brain was able to say, okay, now this is how, this is my escape. This is how I'm yeah. going to get out. And he was obviously in flight, not, not fight. So he's in flight mode. So mm -hmm. he was able to, to move forward by activating. Nice. His um, prefrontal yeah. cortex and nice. his learning centers. That's 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 a great story. You know, he he was able to release a new story that he was able to live into. Yeah. But so many kids aren't like that. And I'd love to explore your your story for your kids, because and also how it made you feel when you found the answer <laughs> rather yeah. than the well, diagnosis. It, it, yeah, it's interesting. So. Uh, one, it answered a lot of questions and uh -huh. it confirmed a lot of things that we thought knew and it gave us direction, you know. Now, when you've got adult children, uh, it's one thing for you to know and for them to see, but 
you don't have as much influence on what they're going to actually do and follow up than okay. you'd like. Uh, now, I will say that, you know, Michelle is doing well. She's married, baby, you know, we've got our first grandchild. So they picked, she picked a great partner, someone who is as interesting as she is, you know, on the spectrum. They make a great pair and together they really complete and reinforce each other. So it's fun to watch. That's brilliant. Uh, my oldest son who went through his period in the last two years, he's really found himself embraced who he is, embraced the hard period, recognizes the things he's got to watch out for. Uh -huh. And he's thriving as well in terms of w where he's at in terms of his career and his social life. Mm. Um, and it's really improved the family relationships. Um, so, and it was a long haul, you know, for my son, it was eight years of working through from high school, the damage that happened in high school. And, and they the, both had high school. Was it both bullying that they experienced during high school? Well, for, for, Michelle, it was bullying. For Nathan, mm. it was with the ADD. It was just, this this isn't working for me. And the, so the system didn't support the his system didn't needs. work. So, you know, he found all, now he's an Eagle Scout, but didn't graduate from high school because wow. three, month, three months before he says, I'm out of here, this isn't working. And, uh, and so he went through a hard journey to find his own place. Um, and, you know, the, the stress on the family, all the things that you go through mm. and trying to figure it out and trying to sort through cause, you know, was mom and dad to blame? Are we, you know, do I know who I am? Do I even fit in this family, you know, with adopted children? All that stuff we just had to go through. And the only, only way Lisa and I really coped is said we're in this for the long term you know yeah. this is not a fast whatever it is we just keep showing up uh and be supportive uh and you learn a lot about what boundaries are you learn a lot about how to handle other people's challenges we just went through a lot of learning through the process and what was the well go on carry on Let's... i was going to say and and so it we saw turning points in each of it, but I'm not in a position that if somebody else is going through it to be able to say, here's what works and here's what doesn't work because we just have to figure it out as we went. I mean, the journey's different for everyone, isn't it? Cause it's a yeah. unique journey, just like yeah. you're unique. Uh -huh. Everyone has a unique brain and we all have to figure out how to get the best out of it. I, I, I'd be really interested to know what was the biggest challenge for you? on the journey? Cause I know you, obviously there've been both your kids have been misdiagnosed. What, what was the biggest challenge to, to know the truth so it could yeah. set, you know, set them free? Well, so with Michelle, it was that she kind of owned the identity of having MS. Once she got diagnosed, right. that became part of her identity. Now it, it was when she got married was I saw a window of an opportunity because she had to go in as to maybe we can change her story. And that's when I said, take your brain scans in and see. But until then we weren't making any progress in terms of 
lifestyle changes or, you know, recognizing the recommendations that the Amen Clinic had. Um, so that was the hardest part is changing, you know, her being willing to accept a new story about who she was. Wow. And, and so for Nathan, he, for him, the breakthrough for him was getting some confidence and success in one thing. And once he experienced that, it kind of unlocked everything. So that was kind of the key for him. And was he aware he had ADT or was this another oh, misdiagnosis? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. He was the kid in middle school where we knew he had done the homework and the school would call and Lisa would have to go up and find his work either in his locker or in his backpack or shoved into his desk or whatever it was. Um, yep. He would, he would be the kid where I'd say, hey, can you take out the trash? And in between the kitchen and wherever the front door was, that got lost. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but he, you know, his, his gifts and strengths are he's extremely gifted in emotional intelligence, reads people extremely well, and is very in the moment and wow. uh, very different than me. I mean, very different than me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if you like, obviously you're a parent, you've been through that storm and you're coming yeah. out of the other side, but what would your advice be to you personally? Um, now that you're obviously you've been there, what right. would you say to your younger parent self that's starting the journey? What would you say to, to you as a younger person? Well, first is trust your gut. Don't wait for the system to tell you what they think mm -hmm. because we probably lost a year or two doing that Wow! in the pro because you have to go through assessments and then you got to sit and go through all the meetings and got to check the dots. And, and then if you disagree, then you've got to escalate and all of that. You, if you lose two years in middle school, it's over. That's it. You just don't have the luxury. So what I found is that grade school was great you know, elementary school, middle school is what I call the great calling out. That's where the social skills kick in. That's where the real academics kick in. Mm -hmm. And that's when it really separates. Uh, the other thing I would have done earlier is um, I'm a, I'm an expert on the strengths finder or Clifton strengths. Yeah. I've done, I've done more than 17,000 and you know, I know you, know, you did mine and it was very insightful. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, middle school version of that. I would have done right. that earlier to understand the unique wiring of my kids and play to their strengths. Right. But even before that, what I would recommend for every parent is, is, you know, read some of Ken Robinson's book books uh, because everybody is born with a unique original genius spark, a factor that only you mm -hmm. have and Maslow tells us that the things that we can become, we have a compulsion that we must become to find fulfillment. So what Ken Robinson's case is, and there's research from NASA, is that school kills that original genius spark. We, we lose our instincts. We don't trust it because we're in a system that makes us conform and that focuses on what's wrong instead of what's strong. And it all, almost brings in doubt, doesn't it? So, you know, that intuition that you would go yes. forward with, it, it introduces the, the doubt of your intuition. So you 
you, you start to trust it less. <laughs> yeah, and because actually, you want to fit in. You want to be right. Yeah. You don't want to be look stupid. So all those things that you spontaneously just did, sing out of key when you're three to five years old, yeah. don't know the lyrics, doesn't matter. All that begins to disappear. And the 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 assessment that George Land created for NASA, uh, he gave it to 1,600 preschoolers. Um, wow. And 98% tested as geniuses. But by age 15, wow. it had dropped to 12%. By age 30, it dropped to 2%. And, and so part of our work and my mission is to help people recover a map that, that points out where your genius potential lays, do the archaeology work of getting rid of the rubble that has covered it up, and help <laughs> you rebuild uh, that original, those, those things you naturally do best and enjoy most, that you don't trust at a gut level. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, you've got their skills and things you have to learn to, to have that confidence. We all have it. Only 2% of us actually live into that potential. Yeah. Wow. And what was the, what would you recommend as the, that, you know, the top book for people to read that you mentioned Ken Robinson's books, which one would you recommend people to read? Well, as, the, a, as, as a starter, the, the strengths finder 2.0 and take the assessment to uh -huh. find out what you naturally do best and enjoy most and just see how many things am I doing really tap and let me do that. Um, and then uh, I would, I've got a book coming out in March called the genius spark, which really goes more into connecting the dots between that original genius we had. And then how do you recover and, and find that again? I would start with those two books. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got kids in school, Ken Robinson's books are essential. So you can be a good advocate. If you're mm -hmm. out of school, you know, then the strength finder 2.0 helps you get on the journey. Brilliant. And, and, and I, I, I would recommend those. And uh, had you had the opportunity to read those with your kids, you know, or did you end up where they were like your discovery journey when you were going through this research that yeah. you were to do? And so actually it was more of my, I discovered strength. it for research. Yeah, it, I discovered it in research. And uh -huh. my kids were beyond, uh, they were beyond the stage of listening to dad <laughs> teach them things. Uh-huh. And what was, what was your... You know, as your family went through and your daughter, obviously, she's now married. She's got, she's got an amazing, you've got an amazing grand, uh, is it grandson? Grandson. Grandson. Gwydion. Gwydion is his name. Gwydion, lovely. Well, And what did, what did you, what was your big learning point as, as a parent in the, in this whole um, journey that you went through? What was your biggest learning point? To continue to reinforce what they naturally do well and, and enjoy, to just encourage and reinforce, to focus on what's strong. And as an early parent, I focused on the opposite. I focused on what was wrong, trying to fix what, you know, improve. You might, if you want to put a, 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 um, a charitable interpretation, it's how do I help them improve? But it was really, you know, fixing things that I wanted to fix instead of focusing on what they already do well. 
what they did well. So for, rather than you're trying to create them into something that perhaps they weren't and not tapping into their authentic yeah, right. skill set. Yep. So I'd, I'd love to dive into um, the fun facts quiz because I think this sure, is a great absolutely. point um, okay. to, to dive into areas of your life that maybe you didn't do so well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to okay brace, I'll all, brace myself. All... Yeah, I'll brace myself. <laughs> so fun facts is looking at the five pillars of brain health in a fun way. So first of all, feelings. What's the funniest or most embarrassing thing? And you may even not even have told your kids this. That has ever happened to you? Uh, probably the most embarrassing thing is I mistakenly went into the women's bathroom and in a conference and, oh. and I started seeing these high heels coming in and, uh, <laughs> and I just sat for a long time until. Were you in a cubicle at the time? I was in the cubicle at the time <laughs> and uh, I just kind of hushed and stayed quiet and tried to sneak out. Did you make it out? I did. I made it out. I made it out. I don't know if the cameras captured it, but I made it out. <laughs> what? What's the actions? What? This is the second pillar. Actions. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? Uh, bought this ranch that we now own. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, I'm 67 years old, and we bought a 15-acre historical property, a ranch, to turn into a leadership center. I don't know what we were thinking, but my wife uh, misinterpreted a, co a curiosity comment as, a, as an interest comment. And, and now we're here building it out and got clients coming in March. So that's the craziest thing. Well, I think that's really exciting. And you only live once. So if you don't pursue what you're passionate about, then, right, you know you're not fulfilling something that's meaningful in your life. So I think that's re I'm really excited for you in your new ranch. Connection is the third pillar. Connection to yourself. What's the most important value for you that guides you in life? Well, my faith in Christ. Uh, you know, I've, I find that the ability to kind of start fresh every day yeah. and to look at what I'm grateful for and to recognize that whatever success I've got, I didn't do it by myself. Um, that's really a guiding principle for me is to always remember that the people in my network, my family and all of the things that have gotten me to where I'm at. Wow. And do you know, think that's so important that is we can fail alone, but we can't succeed alone is we need, we need people to help us succeed connection to others who's been your role model uh my dad has been a big role model for me uh, he's been a key part of uh, just kind of uh, his courage uh, his willingness to accept others um, I've got high school friends and people who come back to me and said he was the first adult that actually treated them like they were worth talking to oh wow that's a brilliant role model to have that yeah. he he showed that level of respect to to the and i think that's such an important piece that we kind of are starting to miss in in, in certain parts of society is this this respect between the the young and the old and it goes both ways right and i and i think that's a, a beautiful um 
role model to have in your life, um, particularly the courage piece to do to do what he knows is right. What's um, for your thoughts? What's the stupid or crazy thought you've often told yourself in the past that isn't true? Uh, oh, that's a good one. Well, <laughs> that, that uh, well, it's actually, you know, I've got, uh, I've achieved several international awards and an author and I, and I just keep thinking it's the imposter. I guess it's the imposter thing that, mm -hmm. you know, there's no way I could have done this or accomplished what I have accomplished. And so that's the thing that stands in the back that I, I'm more of a background person than a front mm -hmm. stage person. And mm -hmm. probably I've got enough life experience, research and knowledge that, that I could probably step up more. Mm -hmm. Do you ever celebrate your successes? I don't. I don't. Ah. Yeah, I don't. How would you I... celebrate them? Because a lot of people, you know, I've, I've had an award from the past and they yeah. kind of, sometimes they go on the shelf or they don't even appear on the shelf because you don't really believe in them. So they kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah. get pushed out of the way. What, what would the, what was the last award you, you were, you received? Do you remember? Well, several. Yeah. So I received kind of the, um, the author of the year for the international facility managers award. I received the, mm -hmm. the corporate real estate networks, global innovator award. Mm -hmm. uh, that's their top award. I wow. have achieved their, their industry excellence award. Those are their top two awards. Wow. I'm probably one of few people who've actually received three of those kinds of, uh, established awards. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm wired basically that, okay, check that off the list. Now what's next? Um, mm -hmm. you know, getting a book published and getting recognition. I mean, that's, uh, that's a male version of birthing a child in terms of pain <laughs> and agony. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have it's to say, I'm not sure women would quite agree from a pain. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that's the case, but that's the closest I can come. <laughs> and it's kind of like, I, I promised myself I'm never going to do it again. And then about two years later, it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's try another one. <laughs> and I know we talked right at the beginning, you talked about time and taking time. So would you ever take time out to just pause and reflect and acknowledge? I do now. Yeah. Okay. So that's been kind of the breakthrough since 2016. I wear a whoop strap and an aura ring. And so recovery and, and pacing myself, I'll take a nap most days, 20 minute nap. Uh -huh. That's kind of a new, I mean, the last four years. So appreciating that high performance is really being able to channel your best energy at specific periods. Instead of trying to handle the day as a marathon, I handle it in kind of a series of sprints. And I really do take a break in between, you know, after this call, I'll take a break and. Yeah. And reflect and just go. Reflect or take a walk or, <laughs> you know, do something. Yeah. Great. And, and I know we, we talked about this uh, when we last spoke is surroundings. What's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? 
Oh my um, gosh. Makes it so special. Probably Nicoya in Costa Rica. It was kind of a jungle paradise. Wow. Uh, and then secondly, the ranch. I mean, uh -huh. one of the things I love three or four times a week when it's quiet, I'll go down to the creek yeah. and, and it's surrounded by large limestone bluffs. You're just away from the world and it's my, it's my private place to just go walk and think and reflect. Wow. And I think, you know, we don't, and this leads right into the, a lot of the work that you you've done is we don't take that time, do we? No. To think about how important our surroundings are. And I'm not just talking about the physical surroundings, but I'm talking about the surroundings in, in terms of the people, the culture, the energy that people bring into the space, the the environment, the, the physical environment, the digital environment, how that totally influences our brain health and, and whole well-being. Right. What is what have you you know, since 2006, you know, now you've been on journey and you've written quite a few books. What, what's been your biggest sort of discovery or, or finding in that, in that journey? Oh well, the biggest aha is that the assumptions I had going in were completely wrong. Uh -huh. um, you know, for example, we went into assuming that 70% of teachers were, were disengaged and then it's not disengagement how many teachers do you know who really don't care about kids, but yeah. they're worn out. And, and so the industry, uh, the other one too, is that I assume that wellness programs work. I mean, it's a $4.3 trillion industry. Um, somebody smarter than me must know that they work. And so <laughs> when, when we began to write the book, the healthy workplace nudge, and I had 150 different, experts, industry experts and leaders. And we began to look at uh, how environments can improve or help wellness programs. The first thing we had to ask is, what's a wellness program? What is, what's it supposed to accomplish and how well does it do it? Mm. When we got into it, the numbers just aren't there. Wellness programs mm. just don't work. They don't make people healthier. They don't reduce costs. Now, you, you got to read the book to understand why. Mm. So what I found is that Things that are stuck for a long time, usually we're asking the wrong questions. And so the process I created gives me the opportunity to tackle something that we think we know where to start, but the process allows us to get into it and just back up and say, okay, what we thought we were tackling is not the real issue. Are we willing to go after something different? And mm -hmm that's been kind of my biggest discovery. And that massively ties into your personal journey, doesn't it? You know, with your family is you, you've said exactly that is what you were tackling. Yeah. Is, is, was very different to what you were being told was going on in your, you know, in your family's brain right. uh, function perspective um, yeah. and how, you know, what were the best way was, to help them through that storm and out of the other side was probably, I imagine, quite different to the approach oh, that you were 100%. taking. Well, <laughs> and, and I'm okay. I'm comfortable. You know, the, the assets I bring into the research is I'm not the subject matter expert. I have a naive look at it. I can look at the lens of common sense, 
and I'm okay with not being right. The other part of it too is all my books tend to become like a method actor, you know, an actor mm -hmm. who actually takes on the role. So my family got sucked, has been sucked into these research projects <laughs> as, and they laugh at it because, you know, they're the guinea pigs of the research. Mm -hmm. we'll see and mine, mine's the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's, I think it's important, isn't it? That and we talked about this right at the beginning is that, people can get so narrow-minded and right. so specialist that they end up becoming a specialist of nothing that's actually going to help anybody and actually right. it's really important that we keep that open mind especially you know I'm a scientist from background and you know it, there's often these scientific jostles or fights or you know disagreements yeah, right. Right. because you've got a closed-minded culture where the, it's well this is my theory well this is my theory uh, and never the never the twain shall meet and nobody can have a sensible discussion about it and the right. fact that you can because you're not sucked into that state it is incredibly powerful and, it, and you've demonstrated that for your family as well that you know having that open mind and that perspective that you bring and obviously leveraging your strengths that you know very deeply has been a huge huge asset to to everyone around you and, and obviously to to the wider world with all of the research that you've done and the insights that you've brought from doing the doing the research and the right research and not assuming that your assumptions were correct well thank you i appreciate that you know i'd like to claim that the research was well-targeted, planned ahead of time, but it's kind of like I bring people together who are have a common frustration and a common problem, and we say, yeah. okay, what, what do we want to do? And it, it, it all starts there. And, uh, and I love it. It's, you know, I'm wired to learn and to research, so it's kind of yeah. my, my personal learning lab. Yeah. And I, and I know we're getting to the end of time, so and we, it's been a fascinating discussion. But yeah, absolutely. as a parent, obviously, you've been on this brain health journey to helping your kids really unchain their pain. Yeah. What, what one piece of advice would you give a parent who who's intuitively knows that something is not right? What, what would your advice be, be to a parent who, who has children that's struggling? Yeah. Well, um, to be there with them, don't try to fix it. Um, and to be a safe place, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and recognize that, that, um, you may hear some things or discover some things that you have to manage your anxiety over it and you can't want them to have something because you want them to have it. Um, You've just got to go along with the journey. Mm. So it's kind of uh, instead of being the hero to your child, be the guide, you know, wow. let your child be the hero and be, be the servant guide that'll come alongside and help them discover their own journey in the process. Wow. Do you know that is, thank you. That's such beautiful advice. Cause I think, you know, that guide analogy is so important is our kids have got to walk the journey of life themselves, haven't they? Yeah. And yeah. we can't walk it for them. 
um, yep. and they, they've got to make the decisions on that road, but we obviously can guide them on the right path, but ultimately they've got to do the walking. Yeah. Um, but a hundred percent of my instincts is I could fix it for them. Uh, I could help them. And uh, that, that instinct just gets in the way. Yeah. It's like the teacher analogy, isn't it? Like they carry the load. They end up carrying hundreds of students on yeah, the back. Yeah. Right. And then ultimately, you know, they're walking up this really hefty hill and ultimately they're starting to collapse under the, the weight of the load because the kids aren't able to, they, the, maybe the teachers don't have the tools to help the kids walk, walk it themselves and, and to be the guide. So they end up just carrying everybody. Right. And it's right. really hard. Thank you well, so you're welcome. much. Rose. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, how can people get hold of you? What's the best way? And I know you've mentioned a lot of books. We'll put all of those in the show notes, so, yeah. so they'll be included. Well, so there's three ways: LinkedIn. I would love for people to connect because I post content almost every day, uh, and thing you know, things we're learning. My website is rexmiller.com. www.rexmiller.com. And that's also my email, rex at rexmiller.com. Three ways you can connect. And, um, you know, I look forward to hearing from your audience. Yeah. And, you know, and I think everybody should really um, make sure you get hold of Rex's books. They're, they are really amazing. I love the insightful stories that you've brought into your books. Yeah, thank and, you. And, and just how it's really shifted the perspective of, what people have done and you've mentioned this on the show as well is 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 not going in with a closed mindset but really an open mindset about how you can change things yeah that's so so important rex it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show if there's anything i can do to support you in in your well, mission you. i'd love to have you back when your book launches yeah um, nice. that would be amazing back on the show to talk about that um, and in the future we'll have to share brain scans <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really yeah I'd love to see what you, you will have to connect offline and <laughs> yeah 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 the good I'd news is there's one that. there that's that's the good news <laughs> so Rex thank you everyone yeah, this is welcome. the show is brain health unchaining your pain you're not stuck with the brain you have you can make it better and we're here to help show you how thank you Rex yeah, you're welcome. You by Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.